to you. So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 23. So we'll, Lord willing, we'll finish out 1 Samuel 23. We are, we are heading up to the end of 1 Samuel, only 31 chapters. So we are finishing out, Lord willing, today the 23rd chapter. So 1 Samuel chapter 23. And of course, as always, David has <clears throat> David has has delivered Keilah, um, as we saw last time, and he has been running from Saul. So we'll pick this up in 1 Samuel 23, and we'll pick it up in verse 13, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter <clears throat> 23, we'll pick it up in verse 13, we'll go through 29. If, you f- if you're physically able to do so, I do want to invite you one more time, because we want to honor the reading of God's Word here, to stand with me so that we can honor the reading of God's Word. 1 Samuel chapter 23, beginning in verse 13, hear the word of the Lord that's given to us this morning. Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah and went wherever they could go. And it was told Saul and David was that David was escaped from Keilah and he forbore to go forth. And David abode in the wilderness and strongholds and remained in the mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee. And you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto you, and and that also Saul my father knows. And they made they too made a covenant before the Lord. And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went into his house. And then came then came up the Ziphites to Saul to Gibeah, saying, Does not David hide himself in the uh, in, with us in the strongholds in the wood in the hill of Hakala, which is on the south side of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of thy heart, or thy soul, to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him uh, into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed be you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Go, I pray you, prepare yet, and know that, and see his place where his haunt is, and who, who, has, come, who has seen him there, for it is told me that he deals very subtly. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places which he hides himself and come again and come again unto me with certainty and I will go with you and it shall come to pass if he be in the land that I will search him out throughout all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the plain of the south of Jeshimon. And Saul was also with his men and went to seek him. And they told David, wherefore he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And so, and Saul went on the side of the mountain, and David and his men on the side of that side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul, for Saul and his men compassed David and his men around about to take them. And there came a messenger to Saul, saying, <coughs> Hasten thee, and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. And wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore they called that place um, uh, uh, Selah Hamakaloth. And David went up from there and dwelled in the strongholds 
at Engedi. And let's pray. Father, this is your word. We now submit to ourselves to it. May you make much of your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The God who protects is really where we're going this morning to focus on. We want to focus on the God who protects. The God who, who, who not just provides, but also protects. I read a story this week of a young woman and her sister who were on a, a mission trip in, in Japan uh, several years ago. And they told the story, they related the story how they were, they were in a very remote village in, uh, in one of the mountain villages in Japan. And they talked about how they, they, had, they had gone into uh, another town and, and had spent some time there and had actually stayed a little bit longer than they had intended to. And so they decided to make their way back as quickly as they could. But uh, it, dark, darkness had already started to fall, evening had already started to fall, the sun had set. And they quickly found themselves uh, trying to make their way back as quickly as possible. They told a, a story how two, two young men uh, proceeded to come out of the woods and stand in front of them. Of course, as you can imagine, two young women in a foreign land, uh, in a, uh, uh, surrounded by uh, unfamiliarity, now s- confronted by two young men and wondering what they were up to. And so they related how, uh, not knowing what the men's intentions were, right, uh, they didn't know if they meant good or bad, but, but still being, being in a foreign nation and, and being confronted late at, later in the afternoon with these two men as darkness fell, not knowing what was going to happen next, they just simply uttered a prayer, God, if these men mean evil, can you please protect us? And they, they related the story how out of nowhere, out of the woods, comes, came this very large great black Newfoundland dog who stood between them and these two young men. The dog began to growl and bark very ferociously and he ended up uh, taking an attack uh, stance and actually chased the men away. Uh, After he had chased the men away, this this dog, they said, just, just literally followed them home and protected them and he laid as they entered their house they they fed him a snack and he laid down at their door and literally stayed there all night and said that uh, they said that the next morning they went out and he was he he was gone as mysteriously as he had showed up it's amazing how God protects us at times when we're not sure what's going to happen Uh, and it's amazing how God protects his people this morning I want to show you from our text uh, exactly uh, two reasons why you and I need to look to God as our protector. Why you and I need to look to God as our protector. Because he is the one that protects us. He is the one that cares for us. He is the one who watches over us. And so first and foremost, the, the first reason um, that uh, we need to look to God as our protector and, and see him as the one who protects us is because he has given us his word. Uh, to protect us. He has given his word to protect us, uh, and, and he does so as we act upon that word. He does so as we act upon God's word. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 13 through 18. We've already said that, that uh, Gad, one of the prophets of David, had come to him and had told him what to do, and, and now the priest of God had come to David and had told him what, uh, and, and had give, brought the ephod, and, uh, the ephod and, and that he, David had made uh, inquiry of God using the ephod. And that as a result now God is using and blessing David uh, for his own glory and his own honor. And so God is in fact, it is amazing that God is in fact blessing David by giving him his word that he can act upon it. 
Because in the end, my, my brothers and sisters, God's sovereignty does not negate our responsibility to act upon what God has revealed to us. God's, God's sovereignty does not in any way negate our responsibility to follow through in, in obedience to the word of God. You and I need to follow through. As a matter of fact, in verse 13, notice what it says here in 1 Samuel 23. It says, Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah and went wherever they could go. Um, so, so they had been told that uh, by God that the men of Keilah were going to deliver them up. So did David and his men hang around and say, oh, you know what? God has got this. God's sovereign. We don't need to do anything. No, absolutely not. What do they do? God tells them what's going to happen, and they make the plans that are necessary to be in obedience to God's word and say, hey, you know what? God has said that they're going to deliver us up. We have to be obedient to his word, and we need to, we need to go as quickly as possible in obedience so God's sovereignty does not in any way negate our acting and wisdom in our lives. You and I are still called upon to make wise decisions, right? We're not called to get caught up in get-rich-quick schemes, and we're not called to, to get caught up in, in, in less-than-ethical uh, um, um, investments and all sorts of things like that, right? We're not called to dishonor Him by acting in a way that's contrary to His Word. We are, and, and neither are we called to say, well, you know what, I, I don't have to act wisely in, in you know, making sure that that there are that there are uh, precautions and procedures in place should should a should a fire break out in my home uh, you know my kids know where they're supposed to go or my grandkids know or I know or my wife knows or my husband knows we we need to act with great diligence in all areas of our life we don't need to just say well you know God is sovereign so hey here we are uh, whatever happens happens right case sarah sarah that's not that's not how this works God's grace um, is, is very gracious to us. God is gracious to us, and he does protect us, but he does expect us to act upon his word. He's given us his word. He's given us the wisdom that we gain through his word and through his Holy Spirit, of course, right? Because uh, as, as important as his word is, he's also given us the spirit of God by which we need, to, we need to understand and grow in the grace of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us and directs us and guides us in the word of God. And so um, we, we need the spirit and the word acting in unison together to guide us. And God's grace is also gracious in that acting upon his word at times does reveal that, that he does at times graciously grant us um, reprieve from, from, um, uh, from, from danger. Right? I mean, there, there are many times, I remember as a, as a five-year-old boy, this is sealed in my memory forever because it was such a frightening thing that happened. Um, at five, um, I was, uh, uh, we had gone to, uh, gone to uh, a cavern, and um, we were, in order to get to this cavern, uh, with, with some friends of mine, uh, and my parents following behind, making sure, you know, everything was, was okay, uh, and uh, in order to do this, though, you had to cross a road. Uh, which was sort of stuck in the middle of a, of a, of a little bit of a blind. I'm not going to call the name of the place. It wasn't, wasn't Mammoth Cave, but it was a different cavern. And so um, in the middle of this, so my friends all of a sudden decided that they were going to be cool, older, older friends, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10 years old. All these older kids were going to be cool, and so they were, not, they were just going to run across the road without any adults. And I thought, this is great. I'm going to be cool like the big kids. And so I began running out, 
at which time, from the corner of my eye, I see a car speeding at me, and at which time I turn and I freeze, and this car comes screeching to a halt inches from me, and this person is freaking out behind the wheel. My mother is screeching in terror, and my father is yelling, what's wrong with you, boy? Right? All at once. All of this is happening all at once. Right? And that will forever be sealed in my mind because I acted with outrageously foolish intentions. Right? Um, outrageously foolish intentions. And the same is true for us. We need, to be, we need to act in accordance with God's word. We need to act in wisdom. We need to act trusting the spirit of God to lead us in the word of God. And at times, God does protect us, even from foolishness, like foolish things like that. God, God protected a five-year-old little boy from, uh, who was trying to be cool like the, all the other big kids. Uh, and uh, he tried to, uh, God protected me in the midst of that. And I'm sure all of us have stories where God protected us, you know, um, all of us, you know. I mean, uh, I grew up in eastern Kentucky. There wasn't much to do, so what did we do for fun? We drove around the courthouse, and we went as fast as possible while we rode and surfed in the back of pickup trucks, right? Um, you know, looking back, you're thinking, my goodness, I'm surprised I'm not dead. Um, but we all, I'm sure, have similar things where God has protected us. From, from things. And so God does grant us reprieve from time to time from our own foolish actions and activities. But in the end, we need to trust in God's word. At times, as, as we're waiting even, as David waited for God to move and to show him what, what, what his next move should be, other than fearfully running and trying to save his own life and his, his, his followers' lives, David simply was waiting. I mean, this is, again, 10 years, 10 years David would be on the run from Saul. And, and truthfully, as we look at verses 14 and 15, we, we see David simply hiding out. He wasn't doing much else. He was just hiding, wasn't he? He was hiding. It's what he says in verses 14 and 15, that David abode in the wilderness in the strongholds. Now, this wouldn't have been a, a physical structure, but, but rather would have been a, a, a natural structure that David would have used and his men would have used just, just to be able to defend. Like This would have been defensible areas should Saul's men have attacked. They could have stood um, their ground because they would have had the high ground, right? Uh, you know, um, uh, something Anakin Skywalker should have learned, right? Don't, don't try to take the high ground. Um, but um, uh, for all you uh, non-Star Wars fans, I'm sorry for you if you don't know that reference. But anyways, um, the fact is, is that God, God gave them the grace to be able to have these, um, uh, these, uh, um, these, these reprieves and protected in this time. And waiting in the hallways of grace is what David was doing. And that's, that's what God called us, it calls us to do, quite honestly, brothers and sisters, because there may be times in our lives, like David, when we're just simply, you know, we're just simply waiting for God. And that's all we're doing. We're just waiting for God. We're not sure exactly what needs to come next. We're not sure exactly what we need to be doing next. So what do we do? Well, we do what God has revealed to us to do, and that is simply wait on Him, to wait on Him. To trust him while we wait in the hallways of his grace. And that's what David did. And understand that, that I can't imagine that this was a very easy wait for David or his men as they were waiting, right? I can't imagine they were hanging out, camping, fearful in their lives, being like, yeah, boy, this is the greatest thing in my life to have ever happened. I can't possibly imagine that. And neither can we imagine that when we are hit 
life hits us out of seemingly nowhere for us, and it seems as if all of life turns upside down and, and, and wrong side up, and it seems as if we're not sure what our next move should be. It's in those times that we need to wait in the hallways of grace and wait trusting in grace and believing God is our protector and helper. Because truthfully, we should expect that there's going to be, as you and I act in obedience, as we as a local congregation act in obedience, what should we expect? Well, we should expect satanic opposition. That's what happens here in verses 20, chapter 23 and verse 14, isn't it? The very, it says, and Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. It's an amazing fact. It's an amazing truth. I heard a story recently that I think helps illustrate this point. I heard a, I heard a man who was who was playing baseball with his with his with his uh, young son, about four or five years old, and and uh, he had just bought his son a wiffle bat and a ball, and the boy was so excited to have his have a wiffle bat and a ball, and uh, he said, "Dad, let's go play." And so so they went out, they went running out into the backyard, and and the dad pitched the ball, and 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 the boy swung the bat, and he missed, and and again uh, he he the little boy threw it back to his dad and said, "Throw it again, Dad." So he threw it again, and he swung and he missed, and he said, "Dad." Dad, Dad, you're doing this all wrong. And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, you've got to throw this ball where I swing this bat, right? And oftentimes that's the way it, it, it is, isn't it? We often think, God, you've got to throw the ball of life where I'm swinging my bat, right? And truthfully, that's, that's what happens. We, we often think that, that we are um, we need to be like, or we're like the little boy, that, that we treat God as if, if uh, he should be going in our direction, not us going in his direction. We need to, we need to be trusting the Lord and treating God um, as the sovereign that he is, trusting him, that while we are swinging the proverbial bat, uh, we need to also be keeping our eye on the ball, and we need to be trusting him in obedience. But there's, also a, <clears throat> there's also something else here. And that is that God, God does grant us, and we're talking about grace and the grace that he gives us. At times, part of this grace is, is biblical friends. And we've already delved into this topic back with Jonathan earlier. But Jonathan now comes back into the scene, and he sees us in, and gives us biblical friendship, who gives us wisdom and speaks the word of God to us, doesn't he? Because, I mean, think of what Jonathan does here in verses 16 through 18. He encourages David in the Lord, and he encourages David's faith. He reminds David of God's faithfulness. He reminds David of God's promises. And he reminds David to be humble and to, and to follow the Lord. And that ultimately those who resist God um, are, and, and our obedience to the Lord are actually resisting God. And, and that's true for us. Christian, we need people in our lives who can, who can encourage us. That's why the local church, the local assembly is so important. Because we need to be reminded uh, and encouraged in our faith. This is not a, a journey that we make alone. This is not a journey that we make on our own. This is something that we follow, follow the Lord on and follow through trusting Him. And we need friends around us, biblical friends, our, our leaders, our pastors, our, 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 our friends around us who love us and can encourage our faith, who can help us be reminded of God's faithfulness in our lives, who can help us and, and, and remind us of God's promises. That, that is, hey, guess what? I know things are tough. I know things are tight. I know things don't look good. But God has never failed us, not once. And He's not going to fail us now. And it's, it's important that we maintain a, status, a stance of biblical humility in all of this. Realizing, yes, by all means, we, we are called to be faithful. But in the end, who is the one who's in control? It is God that's in control. It is God who is the one who's at work. And so 
so we, we trust the Lord and we, we seek to honor the Lord in all of this. But there's a, there's a second reality here for us. And then it's realizing God is our protector is that, is that we, we are trusting him. And he piggybacks off this idea of what I just said, which is that God is, is faithful and we need to trust him for the outcomes of, 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 of life. We need, to, we need to trust him in, the, in, the, in, in, in life and for the outcomes that are coming out in this life. You see, there are going to be people who we love who are going to betray us, aren't they? You say, well, what do you mean? Well, who betrayed David? It's amazing, isn't it? The men of Keilah betrayed David. I mean, this is the guy who just saved them from utter and certain death. This man protected them. He didn't take anything from them. He watched over them. The king didn't come to them. The king didn't help them. Saul didn't help them. David helped them. David provided for them. David watched over them. David made sure there was no harm that came to them. And yet, when push comes to shove, what did the men of Keilah do? They betrayed David. And there are going to be times in which even, even when we're trusting God for the outcome, we may turn to look around and say, wait a minute, God, now wait, 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 wait. I did everything you asked me to do. I followed through. I was obedient. And now I'm looking around here and I'm saying, uh, I got nothing. Like everybody has turned their backs on me. They've betrayed me. They've hurt me. You don't understand. Like what, what is going on here? But God is saying, you need to trust me for the outcome in all areas of life, including when people do betray us. Because listen, as I've had to explain to my, my, my children over and over this week, as we've just talked about various things, this world is filled. This world is filled with people who, who are only out for themselves. And this world is filled with all sorts of wickedness and dishonesty. They're all about getting, getting for themselves what they can get, and they will do anything and everything to get it, including betray us, including turning their backs on us when we need them the most. And there are people who do this, unfortunately, even those that we call friends. And it's in these times when we have to trust the Lord even more than ever before, even when our own family betrays us. We need to look to Christ because in the end, um, as was said this morning, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who surround us, who are to help us and to aid us in the midst of this, even when our own family members turn their backs on us. And when those we, we seek aid from even seek to destroy us. I mean, David has been faithful. He has loved Saul. He has taken care of Saul, just like the men of Keilah. He took care of them. He provided for him. He didn't take anything from Saul, but what Saul gave. He loved Saul. He was like a father to David. And yet, in the midst of all of this, those whom David had sought to do good to and to love and to honor betrayed him. And they dishonored him. And they sought to, to, and they ridiculed him and sought to destroy him. Brothers and sisters, the same can be true of us in our lives at times. We, we, those that we honor can seek to destroy us. Those that, we, those that we seek to make much of and to honor them as respectfully as we can, even in that, they will seek to destroy us. Because in the end, wicked people don't care about respect. They only want what they want when they want it. That was true of Saul, and it's true of God's enemies even today. And, and, when, and, and when those that, that, that we help become our enemies, I mean, it, it is a difficult thing. And that's what happened to David in verses 22 through, through 24, isn't it? David, who, who, loved the, who loved Saul, who took care of Saul and his family, 
was a son-in-law of Saul, uh, and now to, to taking a protector of Keilah, they turned his back on him, and they become the enemies of David here in verses 22 through 24. And as a result, what is, what is David left with? Nothing. Nothing. He's left with, with nothing. And he, is, he has been dishonored. He has, he has been harmed. He has been hurt. And when we're left with nothing, the only one that we can turn to is Christ. It is our Savior. It is our protector. It is the one who helps us. And that's what happens here in verse 24. It says, And they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. And David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. Now, now, to be honest, we don't know the reasoning behind why the men of Keilah betrayed David. Um, we don't want to be too unfair, uh, but so whether it was because they were because they were thinking, "Oh my goodness, look what di- look what Saul did to Nob in slaughtering the king's priests," and we're not a city of priests. If Saul is willing to slaughter a city full of priests, by the way, um, we know that uh, that Nob would have been a town of of between three hundred around between three and five hundred people. Saul slaughtered. The, a town of between three to five hundred people, right? So the men of Keilah may have been thinking, if Saul is not willing to spare the priests of God who he thought was against him, there's no way he's going to spare us. So we don't want to be unfair to them, but at the same time, betrayal is betrayal. And they betrayed David. And they, they did not look to him as, as their protector, but instead turned and betrayed him. And, and truthfully, David and his men had nothing. They were left with absolutely nothing. But it is interesting, isn't it? It is interesting how God sent to David exactly what he needed in Jonathan before everything else sort of just just exploded. It's interesting how these two events coincided. And it's amazing how times, I mean, even with like Elijah, God prepares us even before the journey uh, ahead of us. But in the end, what, what, what is going to happen? Well, the reality is, is that as we trust and look to Christ, as we trust and look to God, God is not going to leave us or forsake us, but he will eventually vindicate us. It may not be in this life, but in the life to come, he will certainly do that. And God, um, God does that. Uh, uh, and and, and I, I don't want to get too far into this, but the name here of the place um, that, that, that is mentioned here, um, it literally means, uh, the, the King James doesn't translate it, but it literally means the rock of escape, uh, the place of, of escape. And so God, God is, even in this name, is telling us that he is the one who's provided the way of escape. Charles Spurgeon once said this, he said, O child of suffering, be patient. God has not passed you over in his providence. He who is the feeder of the sparrows will also furnish you with what you need. Do not sit in despair, hope on, hope ever. Take up the arms of faith against a sea of trouble, and your opposition shall yet end end your distress. There is one who cares for you. His eye is fixed on you. His heart beats with pity for your woe, and his omnipotent hand shall bring you the needed help. The darkest cloud shall scatter itself in the showers of mercy. The blackest gloom shall give place to the morning. He, if you are one of his family, will build up We'll, I'm sorry, will bind up your wounds and heal your broken heart. Do not doubt his grace because of your tribulation, but believe that he who loves you as much as in seasons of trouble as in times of happiness. What a serene and quiet life might you lead if, 
if you would leave providing to the God of providence. So quickly, let me make application for us and show us Christ here in our text. First, Jesus is the greater David who was betrayed by those to whom he showed the greatest love. Um, It is amazing that Jesus loved us so much that he died willingly for us, that the Father willingly gave his only begotten Son, right? That, that, That all the believing ones, all the ones who would repent and believe the gospel would be saved. And Jesus is the greater David. David was betrayed, but Jesus was betrayed in an even greater scale. Being the the, the rightful ruler of this world, he was betrayed by us. Those whom he loved, he was betrayed by us. He died for us, showing us his great love. He was not delivered. He did not escape like David, but instead showed himself that he he, he had a greater love for us and that he died for us. But Jesus is also the greater suffering servant, like David, the greater David who suffered in greater ways. It is amazing that David was in the wilderness, but what was David in the wilderness doing? Protecting his own life. Jesus went to the wilderness, but in the wilderness there, what was Jesus doing? Exercising his right as the second Adam to become, to be our savior, to be our, to, to succeed where Adam had failed in the, in, the, in the temptations that Satan had given to Adam and the first Adam and the first Eve. Now Christ in the wilderness becomes the second greater Adam who overcame Satan's temptations and who in fact became, or who in fact revealed that he was the second Adam. He was the second Adam who succeeded where, the first, where our, our first federal head, our first Adam, failed. Jesus, becomes the, Jesus is the second Adam who will offer himself as the sacrifice and the propitiation for the sins of those to whom had turned, his back on, had turned their backs on him. And Jesus becomes the greater suffering servant. Jesus was persecuted for our sin, not for his own sin, but for our sin. Lastly, Jesus is the greater wilderness wonder, abandoned and betrayed, sent into the wilderness willingly to suffer. He is the great, greater suffering servant, the greater wilderness wanderer, the greater rock of escape. Jesus is the greater rock of escape. The one to whom God the Father has given the way of escape to all who would repent and believe the gospel. Jesus is the greater rock of escape. Let me apply this then. So the beauties and wonders of Christ are seen, but also so are, so are I think, the practical applications for us. You and I are called, brothers and sisters, to faithfulness to Christ, understanding that that faithfulness can be very costly. It can be costly to be faithful to Christ. It, we should expect suffering when, Christ, when, when we who are Christ's are called upon to be faithful. But I would also say this. I think there's, a, there's, there's another example here, a practical application for us, which is this. Our faith is forged in the furnace of affliction. Our faith is forged in the furnace of affliction. That is, God uses opposition and affliction in our lives to forge our faith. A, a, an untested faith is a worthless faith. A faith that is not tested, a faith that has not gone through the crucible of, of affliction is worthless. It's useless. It's like the, 
it's like the, uh, the, 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 the ground that was very shallow and the seed goes in and it produces something and it looks all nice and pretty but till the sun comes up and begins to burn away and it kills it, right? It, was, it would looked great from the outside. It was produced, starting to produce faith, faith. This kind of faith was starting to produce. This kind of soil was starting to produce until the sun of affliction arose on it and it burned it away because it was worthless, such is the truth of our faith, that a faith that is not tested is a worthless faith. And yet, in the midst of all of this opposition and God's testing, God cares for and provides for us. We need to believe that. We need to trust Christ. And I know that you may not feel that this morning, but know, believer, that Christ is not against you. Our Father is not against you, but is for you and has designed these afflictions and these temptations and these troubles and these struggles for your good, for your good and for his glory. Thirdly, I think there is God's protection that we need to see And I think there are a million billion ways that we don't even know how God has watched over us. In in us going, turning left instead of going right and getting into a head-on collision. By us being stopped by a traffic light or by us being delayed by someone uh, because we got caught up into something that had we not, there would have been catastrophe and disaster Right? There are, I think there are a billion ways in which God protects us that you and I will never fully understand until we get to heaven. I think at that moment we will see the multitudes of ways in which God has protected us. God has delivered us. God has aided us. And we need to be careful to thank him for his grace in guarding us, even, in, even ultimately from eternal danger. Lastly, I think the last application I want to have for us is this. We need to encourage one another, like Jonathan encouraged David, going back to sort of that point. We need to encourage one another in the word. We need to help one another. We need to aid one another. Brothers and sisters, uh, and, and we, need to, we need to encourage one another in the faith. We need to help one another. We need to, we need to lovingly correct one another when, when we've gone astray or, or when we've gone wrong. Listen, w- w- friendship and, 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 and biblical friendship means that, that, that I just, you know, I don't get my feelings hurt, so I just turn the off switch and I just run away and I never, I never talk to you again. It means that I say hard things and have hard conversations. And, you know, when, when we've hurt one another's feelings or when we've not, things have not gone our way, we're honest about our struggles and and we we are we are willing to bear one another's burdens listen christ bore our sins on the cross you and i as beloved as as his children as the children of god through christ need to need to there is a sense in which we very much need to bear one another's burdens i can't carry your burdens but i can come alongside of you and i can hold you up through prayer and by just letting you know i love you brother or love you sister i'm praying for you how can i help you how can i encourage you how can, how what do you need what are the things that i can do to help you in this time these are important things my brothers and sisters that we can do for one another but ultimately we as God's people, can we look to Christ because he is the one who has died for our sins. He is the one who was crucified for our sins. He lived a perfect life, died a death that was not his to die, and yet he willingly chose it, that all who would repent and believe, he was raised on the third day so that all who would repent and believe the gospel would be saved. We could be right with God, made right with the Father through Christ. 
And that is his call this morning to those who may be here who don't know Christ, to come to Christ. He is not a, 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 a burdensome slave master. He is a gracious master who loves us and cares for us. He is a gracious king who lovingly cares for us, his subjects. And he calls to everyone everywhere to repent and to believe the gospel. Would you do that this morning? Would you call upon Christ right where you're at, calling upon him to save you and to trust Christ? This morning, if you are a believer here, look to Christ, who is the one who bears your burdens ultimately. He is the one that knows everything that is going on. Look to Christ. Trust Christ this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now for your hand to be heavy upon us, to work and to move as you see fit for your glory. And we pray this, Father, looking to you who is our protector and our provider, the one who gives us aid, the one who grants us help and hope in the midst of afflictions and trials. God, we ask for your aid now that we would look to Christ, we who belong to Christ, and those who do not belong to Christ, that they would look to Christ in salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name.